I just think that, you know, Alzheimer's dementia has stolen so much from me already. Like it's already taken so much. It's stolen, you know, my sweet 16th, my 21st, my 30th. It's stolen my graduation, my high school graduation, my university graduation. It's stolen boyfriends. It's stolen holidays and moments and Christmases from me. family and your mom. Yeah. So I like, I refuse to let it steal anything else. Like I'm not letting it, it, I'm not letting it ruin my life. I refuse to let it take anything else. I refuse to let it keep hold me back or make me bitter or resentful or, you know, I do have some issues because of what's going on. I, you know, I have abandonment issues because of what happened with my mom, but that's why I'm in therapy. And that's why I'm speaking to a psychologist and a, and a kinesiologist because I refuse to let this, you know, scar me for life. I just, I won't have it. gives you two choices when it throws everything at you. You can let it swallow you whole or you take those lemons. And as the old saying goes, you turn it into sweet, delicious lemonade. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about. Welcome to Lemonade. I'm your host, Elizabeth O'Neill, and I'll be sharing the incredible stories from inspiring people who've turned the hardest times in their life, their lemons into lemonade. Because let's be real, we all want to know how they did it, the lessons they learnt, and what life is like sipping the cello on the other side. Let's get juicing. We are back for part two of my conversation with Tully Smythe. I won't give you the usual spiel because you'll already be well and truly across this chat if you've listened to part one. And if you haven't listened to that one yet, go and plonk yourself down with a box of tissues and listen to that episode first, then come back and join us here. In this instalment, we chat trolling, why she went on Big Brother, the bittersweet relief she experienced when her mum finally passed away, living in a state of victimhood, common misconceptions people have about her, and what the experience with her mum has taught her. Now, enough out of me. Let's jump straight in. Here's Tully. I do want to take a back, bit of a backtrack too, you, well, your mum was unwell and she was in care and that's when you did go on Big Brother and, you know, you had to carry on with your life as best as you knew and I know you are a big fan of the show and we spoke about just before how, you know, you shot to national fame instantly. Like that was just the byproduct of going on a show like that. Although at that time there wasn't, you know, Instagram was something that was some people didn't even know what it was. And, mm-hmm. and it's funny, actually, I've, I've shared this story with you. My, my ex at the time, my son's dad was a huge fan of the show <laughs> and um, huge. And I remember we ran into you at boutique of all things. And it was back when you just come out and he was such a huge fan of you and drew <laughs> and he was so nervous seeing you. And I was like, okay. And I, you know, probably had a few drinks and I walked over. I'm like, look, my boyfriend is just a huge fan of you. Would you, and you were so lovely and you spoke to him and like got a photo with him. Oh gosh, I'm making him sound like such a dog. No, I have my version of this night. I'm about to tell after you, but you finish your story. And then you, I think I was, I think we'll just like, I think I wanted you to follow us or something embarrassing. And then you're like, I'll follow you on Twitter. (laughs) And we're like, oh my God. Okay. Tully follows us on Twitter. And he was just so stoked about that. So the point of that story was, I guess that you, you know, you shot to the, you you then were recognizable everywhere you went and your story was so known. Everyone followed Tully and Drew's story. And I guess I'd love to hear your f- story first. Actually, <laughs> you go. What's your, what's your version okay. of it? <laughs> so 
So I obviously like bless you so much, but I obviously didn't remember <laughs> no, me. Like I didn't. Not. No, I, didn't, I remember meeting you, but I didn't remember your name. Right. So that night was a weirdly big night for me at Buddha's. I Buddha's, by the way, is what people here call boutique. R.I.P. Um, oh, actually, it's still kind of open. Anyway, oh, I well, not right I now. <laughs> not anytime soon, at least. No, not right now. I hadn't even moved here yet, so I was visiting. I was staying um, with my girlfriend Jazz. Bell from the show and I hadn't even moved here yet I was sort of just like I think I was in hindsight like wanting to like figure out my boy's hometown before we because he was still on the show like he was still on on air right was he okay I I forgot that detail I was just spending time you know in his in my boy's hometown just like sussing it out (laughs) anyway that night I met Khan Ong our dear friend for the the first time (laughs) I remember remember that he got you a drink I remember it vividly (laughs) (laughs) I remember meeting Khan so I met Khan that night I obviously met you that night but didn't quite remember it (laughs) hang on wait I also met Max Gorn who is skipper for Melbourne player isn't he yep okay okay so I got a selfie with him that night, he was like, "These some guys were like, hey, sorry, our mate's a big fan of yours. I'm so sorry to, to interrupt your night. Do you mind if he gets a photo with you? I was like, yeah, sure. This fucking like nine foot tall guy walks over and I'm like, what the fuck? Anyway, <laughs> didn't know anything about AFL because I was from Sydney, obviously. Got the photo with Gorney. Uh, and the next day, my Instagram was blowing up being like, oh my God, like, what the fuck? How did you meet Max Gorn? Oh my God, I love him, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, who the fuck did I meet? Quick Twitter search. I must have been really into Twitter if I kept talking about Twitter. Quick, quick, quick Twitter search showed me that not only was Max gone, you know, he played for Melbourne. He wasn't the captain back then, but he played for Melbourne um, um, Footy Club. But he had been telling people to like vote for me and like keep me in the oh. house on his Twitter. Oh, that's he was a nice. legit, legit fan of me. So that is the reason why I'm a Melbourne supporter. Just a bit of a tip. Sure. I yep. thought I became, we're now friends. Max Gorn and I are now friends. Um, but I figured like you know, us. Oh my god, we're all friends <laughs> that night. Wait, that, <laughs> wait, with that that part's going to come in right now. So I, um, yeah. So that I thought, fuck, he was so supportive of me during Big Brother. I the least I can do is support his football team. So that's why I support the Melbourne D's. You, however, so. Maybe that night, obviously, obviously followed you on Twitter. That was a pity follow because I didn't want to follow you. I was about to say it was such a pity follow. (laughs) Clearly. Forgot all about who you were and you existing. You did write me a really sweet tweet that night. I think that I liked it. No, so sweet. I'm sure we can find it and put it somewhere. I really don't want to. God, I feel like like a loser right now. I wish I didn't bring this up. (laughs) No, no. I'm glad you did. The next time I met you was you had just given birth to Ollie. It was Mm -hmm. like that... um, Aperol, it was like a Pim's noodle market thing. Oh. We were outside. It was fucking hot. It was so hot. You were Tara and yeah. it wasn't there. You were Tara and Khan maybe. And it was like a Pim's outdoor. Was it by the river? By the croquet? Yes, croquet on the, on the thingy. Anyway, oh. you'd literally just given birth and you told me that. And I was like, no, you have like from where? Like you're like, where did you give birth from? You looked stunning. Oh. And that's going to be the grab for this podcast, by the way, just you saying that. You look stunning. <laughs> you look stunning. When did you give birth? <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've obviously become quite close through Georgia Love. That's kind of how, you know, I've become friends. And mm-hmm. we don't see each other often. It's usually because of Georgia. Georgia has a birthday. Georgia gets engaged. You know, Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. <laughs> Georgia does things that and we just sit and we're like, yeah, we'll come to the party. <laughs> but we always gravitate towards each other and have these like either emote. We're always crying. Why are we always crying? Oh, How many times have I been on a bus with you crying? Why are we got some buses as well? <laughs> a lot of crying. <laughs> it's just, yeah. It, we always get along though. Good mm. chats. And um, anyway, so when I, sort of one of those first times, I must have been, 
anyway, one of the first times I met you again properly with Georgia, I then realized, oh, you launched the podcast and I was really excited for you. Um, and I realized, I was like, oh, this is so weird, but I, I already follow Elizabeth on Twitter. What the <laughs> fuck? And I literally could not figure out how that happened. And you've just told me the story. Yeah. To this it. day, I didn't know how a, I already followed. I was like, how did I already follow? Mm. I'm like, how do I already follow? What the fuck? How do I already follow? You were friends her? with me. You just didn't know it. <laughs> I honestly oh I remember messaging G and saying this is so weird but I That's already right. follow Bam on Twitter I had no idea how that happened but you just told me so thank you so much yeah there we go we got there and I'm really I feel like my pride has taken a bit of a hit anyway back to you <laughs> um so you shot to fame post the show but in the meantime you're also juggling you know this new profile and as you said like you know and as you've spoken about very publicly a lot of backlash that you received from the Mm -hmm. show which I can only imagine how difficult that would have been and then what was also going on behind closed doors with your mum who was still very unwell and your family and what your dad caring for her what how did you navigate that time and does it almost feel like a blur when you look back Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, you know, one thing that mum's illness has made me do is say yes to opportunities that I maybe wouldn't have before. I was always, as again, being an anxious kid, very cautious, very worried. Everything's being, you know, everything's very stressful and, and, and I'm worried about everything. And I think that watching my mum, you know, she's, she lost so much of her life to this disease. I kind of thought, first of all, watching my mum lose so much of her life to disease. Second of all, the thought that's always at the back of my mind that I could also have her disease and I could also lose the same amount of life. That's I, why we cried. That's why we cried on the bus. You told me that. And really? And they're sobbing. Yes. That just came to me. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, so I've, yeah, I, I just find myself saying yes to kind of all these kinds of weird and wonderful opportunities. So she definitely played a role in me even agreeing to do Big Brother. I do wonder how she'd feel about it um, and what she, what her thoughts would be. Um, but yeah, it was a lot. I I came out of the show and I spoke about it briefly on the show and I kind of wanted to constantly be, I mean, the worst troll, I remember the worst trolling I ever got were when they bring my mum into the trolling. Like they'd say oh, stuff God, like, oh, surely they'd not. say stuff like um, wants to be the face of dementia Australia. I can't remember. She has a girlfriend and I'd be like, Oh, God, that is so low. I'd be like, what's wrong oh, with people? Or stuff like, um, thank God your mum can't remember anything. She'd be, she'd be ashamed of your actions. And I'd be like, wow, okay, all right. Um, yeah, so it was a lot. It was a lot to handle. By that point, she was in a care home, so there was a lot less pressure on everybody involved, you know. Um, I guess just the biggest thing is just that I just still wonder what she'd think of it. And it was, it was sad not having, you know, her there or her support or her thoughts and feelings. Um, but by that point we were kind of as a family in a bit of a routine, you know, she was, Mm. she truly was in the best possible place for her. And I think that that is kind of what I had to keep reminding myself of because there's a lot, there's a lot of guilt, you know, um, with having, with having your mom in a care home, you feel guilty. You feel like, you couldn't have, you couldn't care for her yourself. You feel guilty visiting. You feel guilty leaving. You feel like, am I visiting her enough? Am I staying long enough? You know, it's, it's not like you go and you visit. I think maybe even if had she been at a care home earlier when she was still talking, it would, it would, you would feel like your time was well spent, yeah. but because she was nonverbal and, you know, she'd look, the visit itself was horrific because she'd look straight through you. Um, she wouldn't recognize you. She'd literally like be looking over your shoulder. 
to the point where I'd try and go to hold her hand and she'd yank her hand away and look really terrified and like, like scared of you. That's fucking traumatic. Having your mum look, you know, like oh. scared of you or you're trying to hold her hand and she's yanking it away and she's looking at you like you're a fucking stranger. That's awful. Um, so I think that by that point, you know, we were in a bit of a, uh, uh, routine, but just knowing that she was at the best possible place for her to be. At, I kept having to, I kept, I might say, I still tell myself that, but she's passed away now. Um, that I just kept telling myself that, you know, she's in the best possible place she could be in. She has the best possible care she could be, she could have. They're looking after her as best they can. And that's, we just have to make peace with the fact. Mm. Eventually last year she did pass away and I know, I know you've spoken about that. You didn't even really see it coming because I guess it just happens, just chips away and chips away until mm-hmm. it's at that point. How did you feel when you found out? And can you take me back to that day? So we actually got a dad sent me an email about a year before she passed away saying that this could be it. Mm-hmm. I think that we you know when you have a disease like dementia, unfortunately, most of the time they pass away from complications due to dementia. It's never from dementia itself. It's from like pneumonia or, okay. you know, different things. So it's hard. And because they're nonverbal, you know, you can't ask them what's wrong. It's hard to pinpoint what's going on at any point in time. You know, for a second there, we thought she might have colon cancer. Like it's really a fucking guessing game. And so about a year before that, I got an email as again, as I said, my family of men are not the best communicators. Uh, I got an email from my dad in Sydney saying that, you know, he'd spoken to her doctor and it was looking like it could maybe be time. And that day was horrific. A, because I read that information in a fucking email and I was away from my family and friends. I was at the time I was living here in Melbourne and I, my housemate at the time was away that weekend. So I was all by myself And I remember just reading the email, opening my balcony door, thrusting myself outside onto the balcony and gasping for air and just being like, no, 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 no. Like I'm just, I remember being like, I'm not ready. Mm. I'm not ready. I'm not ready for this. And I remember calling my friend and just saying that over and over again, hysterically crying. Like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And then calling my dad and screaming at him, like, you don't send that information in an email. I can't believe you just sent that information in an email. Like, I'm by myself down here. Like, you don't even, there was a lot going on. That was a year before she passed away. So, wow. I think from that moment on, this just shows you how dragged out this fucking awful disease is. So, I think from that moment onwards, um, I was kind of on edge. Mm. And every phone call, I jump and you know I had my dad's number on emergency bypass so even if my phone was on DND um do not disturb or moon mode as people call it of a night um if he called me or text me it would alert me because I was just paranoid and even just being on hold for a year is stressful mm. um and then so sort of um June last year uh you know, again, email form. I think dad finds it easier to email us sensitive information. He's quite emotional himself these days and quite a bit older and a bit forgetful himself. And I think that he finds it easier to list the facts and details in an email. And then he makes sure that we all have the facts. Um, we all find out at the same time. Mm. I understand that that now, but at the time I was like, you don't send this kind of shit by email. Anyway, he sent us an email saying that, look, you know, she hadn't, she'd, 
hadn't been eating. Um, she hadn't been drinking. And that this is generally a sign that it's the end. Again, it was hard to know how serious to take that because of what had happened previously. Um, I said to dad, look, I want daily updates. I don't want weekly updates. I want daily updates. If you want, can I, can I have the nurses again, being down here, it's so hard. You know, do I go home? Do I stay here? Do I wait for news? I actually reached out to Georgia love our friend to ask what I should do. Cause I was like, obviously my heart wants to just go home, but it, because we had the scare the year before, I was like, I could go yeah. home and be there for a year. Like what? I just don't, I just don't Living know how serious. Hold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I kind of, yeah, again, I didn't know how serious to take it. And then, you know, it'd been a couple of days and she still wasn't eating and then been a couple of days and she still wasn't eating. And, and we were told, I think it was like, if she wasn't eating, but drinking, we had maybe four or five days. And if she wasn't drinking, we had one, two days. So I made the decision to go home. Um, and I had, I think two or three days with mum. Um, by this point, it's funny, the, f- the four of us, my two brothers and my dad and I had always handled mum differently. When we'd visit her as a foursome, it was really interesting because we would all be handling it in a very different way, but all in the same room, mm. which was bizarre. Like my dad talks to her as if she's fine and kind of gives her the rundown. He'll be like, you know, Tully's got this new job or Scott did this. My brothers spoke to her as if she was a child. Um, you know, hi mama, like, you know, be little baby voices. And then I, I kind of found all that to be kind of condescending and disrespectful. I don't know if it's a female to female thing, but I just didn't speak to her at all. I just, I, I kind of felt like I had this respect for her that I wasn't going to speak to her in a baby voice and I wasn't going to talk to her and, and pretend she understood what was, was going fine. on. I just kind of, I sat with her and like we had our moment in silence or I'd paint her nails in silence. So by this point, we were all visiting her separately. Um, I think we all kind of needed to just deal with it on our own. Um, I visited her um, one day and the boys had seen her that morning and, you know, I sat with her and I lay with her and I, you know, played, I, again, I don't talk to her cause I don't think I played her music um, and just sort of lied with her. And we kind of all thought that was, that would be, that was the last day with her. So dad that night told her care home to call any time of the day or night. He's like, I think they ask you whether you want to be interrupted or not. And dad was like, of course. Mm. And so that night's sleep, you know, my brother came home all sort of puffy eyed and red eyed. And I think we all kind of thought we'd set our goodbyes. And that night I barely slept because I was just waiting for the phone to ring. Really. I was at my, staying at my dad's house in a single bed and I woke up and I ran to my dad's room and I said, anything? And he said, no. And so I was like, okay, she's still with us. I go, okay, cool. So when are we all going to go up? When are you going to go up? And he was like, I'm not sure. And my brothers didn't want to go see her either. I think, I think everyone had felt like they'd said goodbye. And I think that by this point she, it was pretty confronting. Um, right very thin. Uh, I don't even know how she was physically alive. Her eyes were sunken in. Um, Mm. she looked like a a skeleton. Her breathing was rattled. Um, and I was like, I couldn't, and this is again, you know, we're just so different and it's, it's always felt a bit alien. I've always felt a bit alienated in my family because of this, but I was like, what do you mean? You're not going to, she's still with us. Like, what do you mean? You're not going to go up but everyone deals with things differently. So I went, I was like, well, fuck this. I'm going up. 
and I drove up and I went and saw her and for some reason it only been a couple of hours since I saw her last, but she just looks so much worse. Mm. Her, eye was, her eyes were now cloudy, you know, like she, her eyes were cloudy. Her breathing was more rattly if possible. There were longer gaps in between. Um, and I was just like, I was like, hi mom. And I kind of just laid with her. Mm. And I did things like, it, was so, it so, sounds so silly, but like I, Oh, sounds so dumb. I played the, um, she's a Kiwi, obviously. Um, I played the New Zealand national anthem for her because she always loved that. Um, and played her, um, her and dad's song, um, total eclipse of the heart. Um, and I just kept saying to myself like, okay, get up now, go. I had things to do. We knew she was going to pass away. So we were already making plans for the funeral. And I was like, get up. You've got so much to do. Get up and go, get up and go. I was lying beside her. I opened her windows. There was, I opened her windows so she'd get some like sun in her face. There was no fresh air, but I just wanted her to have some sun in her face. Um, I kept saying, get up, just go, just, you know, you've done, you've spent some time with her, you've seen her go. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't drag myself from her bed. And I kept making deals. I was like, okay, one more song and then you can get up. Or like I'd set timers on my phone. I'm like one more hour and then you, you should go, you have to go. Anyway. I eventually was like, you've got to go. Like you've been here for too long. You've got to get up and go. And I last minute, I'm actually wearing it. Um, last minute, uh, I've got a, one of those relinquish, um, the Libra, everyone's got them. They're like a basic bitch necklace. Um, I'm a Libra. My mom's also a Libra and I wear it every single day. And I don't know why it just, it wasn't a plan. I didn't think about this before I was doing it, but I took my necklace off and put it on my mom's neck. I don't know why. I don't know why I did it. It just came to me. And then I kissed her goodbye and I whispered in her ear. Um, I said, you can let go now. We love you very much, but you can let go. Just, just you can let go. It's, just, it's fine. Everyone's going to be okay. And then I said goodbye to her. And then four hours later, um, I got the phone call that she'd passed away. And part of me was like, I should have just stayed four more hours. And then part of me was like, maybe she was waiting for me to leave. Um, but I'm just so glad that I gave her my necklace. I know it sounds silly, but just the thought that she had something of me that I wore every single day around her when she passed away. I don't, I don't know. In some ways it made me feel like she wasn't so alone. Um, so, yeah, dad called me and said that she'd passed away. Um, I was, I, I, by that point I had gone to my best friend's house. So I wasn't with my dad, but my, my brother was, um, and I had my best, my best friend, Sophia and my best friends, Georgia. And I had, I was surrounded by friends. I fell to the ground. Um, and they all just like piled on top of me. And then we got really, really drunk. <laughs> oh, fun. Not fun, but necessary. Was there any, and it almost feels like such a, I don't know, insensitive question, but was there any relief in that letting go? You know, and absolutely. Yeah. There was so much relief. Like it was the weirdest thing to, to go through and to grieve because it's not like, um, you know, if I was to lose um, dad, I would miss calling him. I would miss being able to text him. We hadn't had that for so long that it was a relief. And I was so glad she was put out of her misery. Um, 
and I was glad that the weight was lifted off dad. Um, you know, there was so, there were so many positives to it, but at the same time we were still mourning our mom and we were, you know, someone had still died and we'd still lost mom. So it was a tough one. And it was, it's, I'm probably still, if I'm being honest, dealing with the grief from that because you're like, Oh, I'm relieved. But then I feel guilty for feeling relieved. And then I'm sad and it hits you in the weirdest moments. But it's such prolonged grief as well. You know, you've said it was 23 years. I think you said of grieving someone still alive and then them passing away and then having more grief on top of that. Yeah. It's it's, grief is a constant, like what does grief mean to you now and how does it change for you? I think it's funny. I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, that until my dad's psychologist said that to him, he said, you know, if you think about it, you've been grieving already. Like you've been grieving for, as you just said, 23 plus years. I never thought of it like that. Um, I never thought of it like that. And so I think that when we lost her, everyone assumed that I would lose it. Everyone, my family, my friends, they were all, they were all on eggshells just waiting for me to, to literally have a mental breakdown. And I just did not I just, I pulled on my big girl pants and I, um, we, I, you know, I, I mean, a couple of days after she passed away, we had the meeting with the funeral directors. I had to pick coffins. I had to pick flowers. Um, I knew very early on that the, the boys wouldn't want to speak at the funeral. So I had to write the eulogy on behalf of the three of us. I just put my head down and just got on with it. And I never had that moment of losing my, my, my mind. And I think that's because I had, you know, it'd been a long time coming. I think grief is such a, it's such a funny concept. You know, it really, every, I know it's such a cliche, but everyone deals with it so differently. The way that me and my two brothers dealt with the same situation, worlds apart, mm. worlds apart. In fact, you know, it's created a divide. And I've heard that this is very common when someone passes away, but my youngest brother and I had a falling out very soon after the, the funeral and we're still not on oh. great terms. Um, you know, people get angry, people are yeah. angry and there are so many emotions going around and, you know, anger, resentment, remorse, grief, um, almost bitterness. judgment of like how others deal with it or what they do or don't do. Does that come into it as well? Totally. And like, no one, you know, no one is there in their right mind when they're grieving. And I take full responsibility for that. Like I was not, I think that whilst I kept it together for everybody else, I'm still fucking angry about it. Like, and this is something my kinesiologist, Janelle, who I know you're familiar with, um, you know, she very early on picked up on that. She's like, I think you're very angry mm. about your mom. And I was like, no, what are you talking about? I'm not angry. It wasn't her fault. You know, these things happen. And she's like, no, you're fucking furious. And I'm, yeah, I'm angry. It's, doesn't, it's not fair. Um, I'm angry we were dealt this card. Um, I'm angry we had to go through this. I'm angry I didn't get to have a mum. And then I'm angry, I'm angry at mum yeah. for abandoning me. Like it's just, and that, you know, it's, there's a lot that happens, there's a lot of emotions at the same time. Yeah. And you're an adult, like you've got to like keep living your life. Like I didn't, I took maybe I think two weeks off work and then it got to a point where my manager was like, hey, so, yeah. and I'm like, I the last thing I fucking want to do is take a fucking selfie. Are you yeah. kidding? Like, yeah. What do you, how do you manage and deal with, I guess, you know, it'd be so easy to be bogged down in that victim state of mind. Totally understandable what you were saying then, but I'm sure you might agree that you can't live in that space as well because it just 
can kill you living in that space mm-hmm. and feeling like you've been hard done by, even though you have had, when you feel yourself slipping into that, or you feel angry at the card you've been dealt, how do you then not shift your mindset because, you know, you're allowed to, you, what you're experiencing and feeling is so valid, but how do you make sure that you don't live in that space? I think that's a really good question. And there are times where I feel myself definitely slipping into that victimhood state. Like Mother's Day this year was fucked. Like worse than her birthday, worse than Christmas. It was just shit. Was it the first again, one? It was the yeah, first one without her. Yeah. Right. yeah. And I'm, I'm so lucky that I have people in my life like Georgia, who has obviously, you know, trampled this path before me. And she's always been a huge support for me in terms of, you know, we always reach out to each other when it comes to, you know, mum stuff. Um, I think the, the, what, I, what I said in my mum's eulogy, which is something that I feel really strongly about and something that I try to remind myself about if I ever get into that headspace where I do slip into that, like, why me? This is mm. fucked. Everything's fucked. Um, I just think that, you know, Alzheimer's dementia has stolen so much from me already. Like it's already taken so much. It's stolen, you know, my sweet 16th, my 21st, my 30th. It's stolen my graduation, my high school graduation, my university graduation. It's stolen boyfriends. It's stolen holidays and moments and Christmases from me. Your family and your mom. Yeah. So I like, I refuse to let it steal anything else. Like I'm not letting it, it, I'm not letting it ruin my life. I refuse to let it take anything else. I refuse to let it hold me back or make me bitter or resentful or, you know, even, you know, I do have some issues because of what's going on. I, you know, I have abandonment issues because of what happened with my mom, but that's why I'm in therapy. And that's why I'm speaking to a psychologist and and a kinesiologist because I refuse to let this, you know, scar me for life. I just, I won't have it. It's already, it's, it's, it's already done and it's damaged. I, I don't want it to do anymore. And so, yeah, there are times and there are days where I sit in it and I think, fuck this. Like I like mm. just fuck off everybody. Everyone was so great on Mother's Day. I had that many friends reach out and say, you know, if you want to go for a walk or, um, you know, if you want to, we'll, we'll happily have you over for dinner. And I'm like, nah, I don't want to speak to any, like, fuck you all. Like none of you fucking get it. Yeah. I think it's okay. And I think it's important. You know, you can have those days, give yourself a break. You're human. Have those days. Just don't let them be weeks or months. That's such good advice. And anyone that's listening, that's going through anything, it can, you know, it's not, won't necessarily be what you've been through anything, any kind of heartbreak, any Mm -hmm. trauma. That is just such good advice. Let, let yourself feel like that. Mm-hmm. Say fuck this. Say say this is you know. Say this is shit. Yeah. There, but don't. I've, there's this beautiful quote that my mum actually put up, and it was like in my room for me when I was going through some stuff, and it was like, it's okay to feel what you're feeling. Just don't unpack and live there either. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about. Feel it, but also acknowledge it, and I, I guess let it pass as well. Yeah. And, and like, you've, you've got to feel it. It's, it's not, it's not healthy to, to not feel it and to push it down. I think feel it, let it pass and, and speak to somebody. I think that I, you know, I truly wish that I'd spoken to a psychologist before I have. And I think that if you are going through any kind of trauma, be it heartbreak, you know, a marriage breakdown, anything, loss of a job, COVID in general, um, 2020, 2020, um, I can't stress enough how helpful speaking to a professional has been like I just it it constantly irks me that we're so quick and eager to blow money you know on f45 memberships so true 
and getting our hair done. But the minute we have to pay a couple of hundred for a, you know, a psychologist, we're like, Oh, nope, can't afford that. It's like, oh, how actually- ridiculous. Why is it so expensive? And yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, I just paid $700 to have my hair lightened. Uh, yeah. I think that that's <laughs> so that's true. So, so important. Absolutely. Now, people know you mostly, as we've said, for your time on Big Brother, but you're also an influencer, as you've said as well. And if you look at your Instagram, you go to all the best parties. Well, not right now, but you go to all the best parties and you're all um, always in beautiful clothes. You always look immaculate. You're always eating at, you know, the greatest restaurants. What do you think is the most common misconception people have about you and how that all looks and what's actually going on? Okay. So interesting you asked this question because I actually asked my Instagram for, I was bored last night in the couch. I noticed this, this and I just written this question. <laughs> bachelor this season is so fucking lame that yes. I was um, bored. On, I was bored on the couch and I asked my followers, do you know how harsh they were? Like, I, I saw some of them, them put it up and I was like, that is so like, it was like, you don't give a shit about people. It was something really mean. No, it was like, you think you're really good looking and you're snobbish to anyone else who's not. I was like, excuse me? Are they like troll accounts or are they just normal accounts? No, this is the thing. Like people like my housemate was like, oh, surely they're anonymous accounts. I'm yeah. Like, oh, I, see I would um, never so send that to someone. I stopped ask, answering them because they got, they kind of was so hectic. Um, let me read you a few more. Um, you really care what others think about you. You only hang with the cool kids and you'd be quite rude if I saw you out. That you're fame hungry. Um, you're pretending a lot recently. Um, how would someone I'm sorry but how would somebody know that by a few squares on Instagram like you don't know no one knows you know like I just I can't even with this you're obsessed with TikTok oh that you hide how you really feel most of the time and you're afraid of judgment this is a good one um seeing you on big brother I'll be honest I thought you needed validation in everything that you do Thank you so oh, much. Thank you. Hales underscore 85. Uh, yeah, look, I think that. And I would hope they're all perfect. You know what I mean? Like I would <laughs> hope everyone that sent that has got a pretty settled grip on life. You know, look, anyway. <laughs> to be fair, I did ask for the assumptions. I just didn't realize how fucking heavy they'd be. Um, I think I'm, I don't know. It's, it's funny. I'm trying, I'm really trying to be more authentic on my Instagram. I'm really trying. My housemate obviously has been trapped with me now since March. She thinks it's really funny because she thinks I'm nothing like my Instagram persona. Um, I think that as is the nature of the platform, I feel more myself with my stories and the stories that I upload because they're, you know, they're instantaneous. I know they're going to, you know, expire in 24 hours. So there's less pressure. Um, I don't, you know, it's, it's more kind of my real life. And then my feed is kind of more my work stuff. Stylized. Yeah. But that's yeah, all people and see and they assume that's your life. I know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm such a mess. Like, and I'm, it's, it would really upset me to hear that anyone sort of looked up to me or, or if my page made anyone feel less of themselves because it's so all smoke and mirrors. Like, in fact, I'm going to say 90% of my uploads this year have been throwbacks because we have been doing nothing yeah. this year. Like I've been using photos of me in Bali from three years ago. Um, I've had to be careful not to use photos of me with my nose pierced because it's very obvious that it's an old photo. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not nearly as as confident, I think, as people think I am. You know, I am a really sensitive person, as is very evident, as you've seen, you know, privately mm-hmm. offline. Um, I'm very sensitive. I have a huge heart. 
I do take things quite personally. And I think that I have this sort of defense mechanism of this sort of layer of bravado. You're actually very similar in that way. You know, we have this kind of like loud, obnoxious, very confident as well and extroverted. Yep. Yep. Loud, you know, sometimes the loudest people in the room, you know, love a drink, love a party. Um, And that's my line of defense. You know, I think if I do that, if I act like this person, then maybe people, you know, will stay away or, or they'll think I'm this certain way. And then in reality, you know, I'm super, I'm super sensitive. Um, I definitely struggle with imposter syndrome. I struggle being part of an industry where a lot of my friends are six foot fucking models and supermodels. Like you try, you know, I'm at an event, this fancy event you talk about nine times out of 10, I'm spending most of the time at those events feeling insecure. Like I shouldn't be there. A photographer asked for a photo of me and Brooke Hogan. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me, mate? Like, I don't want to be in photo next to fucking Brooke Hogan. Like, she's stunning and st- and I'm old and doughy. Like, oh, I remember this is what we had a cry about actually as well. Which back in March because I sat you down and I was like, you don't realize your worth enough, and you don't realize that you deserve the world and you deserve the best man and you deserve everything good in life. Well, that's probably, you know, the difference between cry. my, yeah, probably that's probably the difference between my Instagram. I think that a lot of people would think that, I mean, even those assumptions that my Instagram followers said to me last night, you know, you think you're all that, you think you're good looking, you think you're in the cool group. Like, I don't think anything like that. That's for sure. I would be really curious to know what the experience that everything that you've gone through with your mum has taught you about yourself. Um it's taught me that I'm resilient, like so resilient. Like I honestly feel like from everything I've experienced and everything I've gone through, the fact that I'm not, you know, a shell of a human being, that I am still a loving, caring, um, empathetic human being that I have somehow managed to forge some sort of successful career. It's not what I thought I'd be doing, but I'm still quite successful. Um, that I've continued to live my life, that I haven't let it hinder me. You know, I didn't let it keep me in Sydney. I followed my heart. I followed my ex-boyfriend. I moved to Melbourne. Um, it's not stopped me from traveling. I mean, I definitely, there were times when I'd booked for it, be booked for a trip or, you know, have a job come through and I think, oh God, is it too risky to fly to UK? Am I going to be too far away from mum? But again, I was like, how long am I going to put my life on hold for this? I think resilience is probably number one. It's mm-hmm. definitely taught me that I can, I don't, I can't imagine I can't imagine being thrown into a circumstance that I can't manage. I think that 2020 would have been a lot harder for me had I not already gone through stuff with my mom. I think that, you know, it's funny that I've read it. I'm sure you've read similar articles where it talks about how people with anxiety in some weird ways have actually been preparing for something like this their entire lives. So true. Yeah. It's, it's bizarre because all my little anxious babies, all my little friends who, you know, have anxiety have been weirdly okay with the situation. Mm-hmm. And then you have the guys and the friends that have never had anxiety that are like, what the fuck is going on? Like, you know, I'm suddenly feeling all these feelings and we're all there going, ha mm. welcome. Like, mm. welcome to our life. It's a fun ride. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, definitely. So I think that, um, yeah, the one thing that's taught about myself is that I'm resilient. Um, I'm empathetic. You know, I've never been, I've always been an empath, but I've never been more empathetic as a human being than I am, uh, than I am now. Um, yeah, and just that I'm stronger than I think I am. I think that a friend once told me, 
I'll tell you the quote they told me and then I'll tell you how I've appropriated it. So they said that God never gives us more than we can handle. Mm-hmm. I don't personally believe in God myself. So I've just changed it. And I've just, my favorite quote is we're never given more than we can handle. Mm-hmm. And I, I truly believe that. And I think that, you know, I was given, I was drawn the card I was given for a reason. And I've just tried to make the best of a bad situation, really. When you, think of your dad now and I know you speak about him so much and you speak about him so beautifully and you you know you've you've always been very open and honest with things that could have been done differently as well Mm -hmm. but when you think of him now and everything he's gone through how do you how do you what does it make you feel how do you feel about him it's funny because usually I don't cry talking about my mum because it's just been all I've known for so long. But then talking about my dad, I 110% always end up in tears. So this is going to be interesting considering how much I've already been crying. Um, look, dad is a saint. There is no different word for it. Um, I, I'm not being generous when I say that. I think he is truly a saint. The shit he's had to put up with and what he's gone through is unimaginable Mm. you know losing your best friend losing your wife so slowly to such a fucking horrendous disease becoming full-time carer of three teenagers you know having to losing your friends and family he had no help from mum's side of the family they completely abandoned us Um, losing his job you know how he even put food on the table I have no idea um, he's, he's truly an amazing man. And, and I think that he is precisely the reason I'm still single. Cause you know, how, how can I ever accept less than that now? Like he's just made, he's, he's made himself this beautiful role model for my brothers as men that they can be. And, and for me as a part, you know, looking for a partner, like I've seen what true love is. I've seen what mm. loyalty is. I've seen, you know, what's sticking by someone, you know, for better or for worse. I've seen that in action. And there's no fucking way I'm settling for less than that. Um, he's incredible. Like I, I just, I don't know. I don't think the three of us would be as well adjusted and successful. Um, if it wasn't for dad, he's, he's truly, yeah. I don't think they make men like him anymore, but I hope for both of our sakes that they, they do, do and that we, both, too. That, we both, and that we both find one yeah. <laughs> preferably sooner rather than later. Totally. That gave me all the tingles and the goosebumps you saying that. You really should write a book, by the way. That's just a very side note. I'm supposed to be writing a book, but I just, I, it's hard, man. It's hard. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Now, second last question. I know I've taken up so much of your time. You know, no, I'm, I'm done a podcast. I'm like, I'm, I've got nowhere to be. I but worried, I'm, <laughs> I'm worried for you having to fucking edit this thing. No, there's nothing to edit out. Um, I've never done a podcast interview this long, by the way. So I just, I thought, you know. It's Do you just, know what? The last person that to me was, um, funnily enough, actually, Mia Friedman never cuts her no filters into two parts. She did for me. I noticed Georgia that. Lo- Georgia Love had to cut everyone has an X into two parts as well. I just ramble. I that is so funny because this whole time you've been talking, there's been part of me that thought, I'm going to have to, I'm going to, not going to, I'm going to have to, I don't have to, I'm going to cut this into two. And I've only done that twice before. So anyway, (laughs) side note. Now, um, the second last question, this might be a little bit more of a tough one, but if you could have a conversation with your mum now, what, what do you think you'd tell her? Oh goodness. My God. Well, first of all, we'd have a lot of catching up to do, wouldn't we? Like, I, I mean, where do I begin? Do I start? I mean, I'd have to start back at 16 years old. I'd be like, hey, so newsflash, mom, I actually ended up dating women for a bit. Surprise. I um, don't know how you feel about Oh, but don't worry, though, because your best friend, Jerry, yeah, Sean's also gay. So you're sweet. You're amongst, you're amongst good friends. Um, God, I'd have so much to tell her. I would have so much. She's just, 
she's been gone. I mean, I have a degree. Um, I think, you know, touching on the fact that you decided to write a book. I think I, when I had a publisher approach me and suggest that I write a book based on my life, that was probably one of the moments where um, I got really upset because mum was such a big bookworm. She loved reading. She's the reason I love reading. She's the reason I'm, I got into writing, I think. And that was probably the biggest moment of my life so far where I was like, fuck, I really wish she was here because she would just be so proud. Like I'd love to tell my mum that I'm writing a book. Like, I mean, firstly, I have to write the damn thing. But to, to be able to give my mum a book would just... Mm. I don't know. I think so many, there have been so many decisions I've made in my life that are questionable and that I, I do sit sometimes when I can't sleep at night and I wonder, God, how would she feel about that? Or would she have approved or what would she have said? You know, big brother, obviously being one of the main ones, but there have been other decisions I've made in my life that are questionable men I've dated for one, <laughs> as you know. Um, but I just know it's just nice to know that that's one thing she would be so proud of and so happy about. Like she'd go into the dimmicks and she'd buy the whole, she'd make this big song and dance and she'd buy the whole bookshelf. Um, so stuff like that is, is, is what I'd love to tell her, to tell her about. Um, I just tell her that she somehow um, produced three really, you know, intelligent, funny, um, loving, caring, thoughtful human beings who are all successful in their own right. Um, I'd tell her that the boys have two lovely partners who just are such beautiful additions to our family. And I wish that the boys would hurry up and put a ring on both their fingers. Mm. Um, I would tell her that dad has been absolutely amazing in stepping up to the plate and that he's done the very best that he could do and that he made sure that we never felt unloved or alone in the house, even when sometimes it felt like we really were the only people in the world. Um, and I would tell her that everyone always tells me they look like her and it's fucking annoying. <laughs> You do. No, it's not. It's a huge compliment. We look so similar. It's yeah, creepy. It is. <laughs> we actually we actually had people at the funeral. It was oh, it was so unnerving. We had old friends who hadn't seen her since you know the eighties or the nineties. Um, struggle to talk to me. Wow. They it was it was upsetting for them because it was like talking to the Walking Dead. <laughs> they're like I'm just they're like people had to walk away. There was this one guy who he's like I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And had to walk away. I'm like it's wow. okay. I oh, get that's it. It's a beautiful thing though to know that you kind of, I don't know, that's it is nice. It's a big it, part it, of her uh, living through you. It used to, it upset me up until I actually interviewed dad for my podcast mm, mm-hmm. for Father's Day and it didn't make it to the episode, probably for the best. It was quite emotional. But I've always had this fear that that upset my dad, that would upset my dad. Like I, I worried probably my whole life that me looking so much like my mum was upsetting for dad. Um, and I asked him that on the podcast and he said, he's like, what do you mean? He was like, what do you mean? He's like, don't be ridiculous. He's like, that's my favorite part about you. He's like, I love that. He's like, I love the fact that you look like her. He goes, all her best parts live on in you. Oh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> oh, for my final question. oh gosh we got there (laughs) what would the tully now with the wisdom of hindsight and everything you've been through tell the tully in her darkest moments when everything felt pretty scary 
Um, it sounds simple, but just the fact that it's all going to be okay. Like it's, I promise you, like I promise you, it doesn't feel like it right now, but everything's going to be fine. And you know, your mum is going to be sick and dad's going to be sad and things are going to be hard, but in the end, it's all going to be okay. And you'll figure it out. Like, you know, yeah, mum's mum died and that sucks, but I'm okay. Like, you know, I'm okay. We keep going. We keep moving. That's just life. And, you know, I think someone once said to me, um, everything is okay in the end. If it's not okay, then it's not the end. And I think that that's really good advice. You'll figure it out. You know, we just do, you've got to, you just, you've got no choice. You just keep on going. So yeah, I'd tell myself that it's all going to be okay. I promise. Oh, <laughs> I wish I could give you a big hug. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, this oh, COVID. Hey, you can't even do this in person and I can't even give you a hug. And oh, thank you so much for sharing. No, Everything sorry for making you so teary. Oh my gosh. And it's gone, you know, and you said before that you, you ramble, but it's not. It's so engaging every word. It doesn't feel like we've been talking for almost two hours. I know, it's right? It's engaging and it's just heartfelt and meaningful and special and I just oh gosh I know I was going to take a deep breath because it was just yeah thank you I don't know it's thank you you know you know I love you and you know oh. I love our chats and, and I always walk away from our chat I feel like you and I I don't know we're just on some we're on the same page about a lot of things and um yeah I think that this has been cathartic for me so thank oh, you because we, we both I'm definitely al- need a wine but yes <laughs> totally I'm always concerned when I do these and especially something with this kind of subject matter, I never want to, you know, people to walk away feeling like they've really opened a can of worms. So I hope that it you no. know, feels, I don't know, feels good in some way. No, I do. I way. feel, I feel, I feel good. I feel, it feels good. Okay. I'm going to have a wine, you know, good. it's Friday night here in Melbourne. I'm gonna have a wine. Yes, That's Friday all I can night. do. We can just we can't pretend do anything we're, back else. Boutique, we're back at Boutique on a Friday night in 2013. Let's just like pretend that's a thing. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Thank Thanks you so chat. much. Beautiful. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Lemonade. I popped a link to Tully's Instagram in the show notes and a link to Dementia Australia if you need support. As always, you can follow me at Elizabeth O'Neill. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd be so appreciative if you can take a second to leave a review hit five stars and subscribe and perhaps even share this chat on your social media. It'll help the podcast grow and hopefully this breed of positive media will reach even more people. Until next week, bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.